Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We've been there now for a while. We definitely won't finish today. All right, Romans chapter 10. If I can get my Bible out, here we go. Look, the Spreaker app sent out a notification as well. Look at that. <clears throat> All right, Romans chapter 10. Do what? Oh, it's true. It's really weird. Yeah. I wish, uh, yeah, I wish they would fix their notification system, but I have not. I've, that's been a, that has not worked out really well. All right, Romans chapter 10. No matter how many times I've talked to them, all right. Romans chapter 10. It's a very, very, very important chapter. We have spent a considerable amount of time with it already in, in certain ways because we've tried to really make sure we understand the basic idea of Romans chapter 10. But let's just read through this and we'll just kind of, instead of giving you an outline or doing anything like that, let's just read through it so that we can constantly are reminded of what Paul is trying to do here in Romans chapter 10. He starts in verse 1. Verse one Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. Paul still is demonstrating his concern for Israel. Remember chapter 9, 10, and 11 is Israel, 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 which makes those three chapters seem really out of place and doesn't appear to make any sense. But it makes some sense if we understand how it's connected to the doctrine of election. And how is Israel connected to the doctrine of election? Well, if God elected Israel, then he can't be done with Israel because if he's done with Israel, then what, how good is your election? Not too good, right? If we're like, election, but God is done with Israel. Well, then he elected a nation that he threw to the side just when he got tired of them or finished with it. That would destroy the entire doctrine, right? That would destroy so many issues. So, and not only that, if God is done with Israel, why is he spending three chapters in the middle of Romans dealing with it when that's not even the purpose of the book? That raises so many theological questions, right? But he, his, he still is concerned about the individual Israel, Israelite, and he wants them to be saved, all right? But then he goes on to start talking. Look what he goes on to in verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. He starts saying some good things about Israel, right? What's the first good thing he says about them? They have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God. That's a great thing to have a zeal and a passion for God. Verse 3. Uh, well, but, but how, what's the bad thing about them? Not according, to, uh, not according to knowledge. There's lots of people who have great zeal. There's lots of people who have great passion. But the problem is they have no knowledge to go with that zeal and that passion. And sometimes within Christianity, you have that. You have people who may get really passionate and have a lot of zeal. They're just not willing to take the time to do the study to back up their zeal and their passion. You got to have the knowledge to, to be, the two need to go together. Does that make sense? Passion and zeal without knowledge is just a, a real, well, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing, right? Verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, this is a mixed bag here, all right? Now, we, uh, we, we can immediately draw the ignorant back to no knowledge, right? But let's set that aside. They went around doing what? trying to establish their own righteousness. Now, in some ways, that's a good thing. Yes? 
They have a zeal for God, and they try to establish their own righteousness. So if you were to look at them, you would be like, man, these people love God, and look at how they live their life. They would have appeared godly. They would have appeared righteous. They would have been the person you would have said, yeah, you can sit next to me in church. Right? They would have been the person that everyone, like, look, these are, they, this is the right kind of thinking. They've got the right kind of morality. They've got the right kind of z- passion for God. But their passion for God has no knowledge, and they established their own righteousness. And this is very important. They substitute the righteousness of God with their own righteousness. And that's a problem. All right? That's the problem. And remember, I I believe strongly that this is a major problem in the evangelical church in 2022 because Christianity has completely forgot the doctrine of imputed righteousness. Look, in many cases, remember, it was my study of Catholicism that made me realize how Catholic evangelicals are. We're more Catholic than Catholics. Because we claim we believe in an imputed righteousness while we typically go around teaching an infused righteousness, right? That no, you, you are to be made righteous in your action and that action determines if you're saved or not or proves you're saved or not. Well, that destroys the whole concept of an imputed righteousness because what does an imputed righteousness do? When God gives his imputed righteousness to someone, what does he do? He declares them to be righteous. He does not make them righteous. So how can a practical righteousness prove an imputed righteousness? Let me tell you, it cannot just by logical progression of thought. If it's imputed to me, my action can't prove something that's just declared. I'm just declared to be righteous. I'm not made righteous. If I'm made righteous, that would require what? An infused righteousness. This becomes a problem. And and not only that, the fact that we are saved by an imputed righteousness goes a long way to explain what? That we've seen for 2,000 years of church history. Sin, 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 sin. And if you're like, well, I don't know what's the problem with all those other people. None of them were saved. Well, then you and I, we can go to the bathroom here for a second and you can look in the mirror. I'm like, you see that person right there? He's a sinner too! And I'll be pointing at you. Oh, and then you can point at me and go, and he's a sinner too. I'm like, exactly. Right? We're all sinners, yes? I know that's a shock. I know some of you don't want to admit that. But you are. You are. That's, that's so important here. They try, we, so many Christians try to establish this idea that no, our righteousness, and we'll, and we'll try to claim, no, 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 it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of God working in me. Well, wait a minute. Now you just talked about an infused righteousness. They supplemented their righteousness for God's righteousness. In fact, what what does the text go on to say there? They won't submit themselves to the righteousness of God. They won't submit them. When you submit yourself to the righteousness of God, you know what you do? I have nothing. I'm a beggar. I have nothing. I'm broke. I'm poor. I'm bankrupt, I have nothing, so I can submit myself to your righteousness that's imputed to me because my righteousness is what? 
insufficient, not only insufficient, that's what I was waiting for someone to say, filthy rags. You can talk about how righteous you are and how much it proves you're saved all day long. It just proves to me that you're covered in filthy rags. You know, what's the proof of my salvation? The finished work of Jesus Christ. It's got to be that. My faith in that, right? That's so important. So he, he's demonstrating why, why is he so worried about them? Because they have, an, uh, they have a zeal with no knowledge and they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They don't understand God's righteousness. They're still, yeah, they're still putting it on the law. Then verse 4. For, now look at this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. When it comes to Christ, what does he become for us? The end of the law. How is he the end of the law for us? He completed it. So guess what? In Christ, what can I say? Okay. In Christ... I have kept every commandment of the Bible. Outside, outside of Christ, I haven't. Now, does that mean I've done so practically? No. No. No way. But Christians teach that we can. Now that you're saved, that you can. I, I'm reviewing a sermon right now on sanctification. It goes to that same garbage that I hear all the time. That now that you're saved, you can do it. Well, I can give you one command. The command is in the Old Testament and the command is repeated in the New Testament. Be ye holy as I am holy. And the I is referring to whom? None of you have ever been that holy. You'll never be that holy. And if you think you can, you're delusional. You don't need church. You need help. You'll never be as holy as God. You say, well, how do I understand that command? Do you understand the command as demonstrating that I need a holy, if I'm going to be as holy as him, somebody better give me that holiness because that holiness is never going to come from within me, by me, according to me. So where, how do I become as holy as God is holy? Let me see. Oh, I have to be declared to be as holy as God is holy. And how am I declared to be holy as God is holy? By faith, right? By an imputed righteousness, Right? So Christ is the end of the law for me because now my righteousness is not by law keeping. It's by, the, by Christ's law keeping, right? In a sense, it's by law keeping. It's just not my law keeping. He took care of it all. And so in him, guess what? Every, all the ten, ten Commandments, perfect. I keep them perfect. Love my neighbor, I do so. Love my enemy, I do so. Turn the other cheek, I do so. I've done everything that's why when Christians read the Sermon on the Mount, it's insane how Christians read that. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is showing you? You can't. If anyone reads the Sermon on the Mount, and when they get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if they're not laying on the floor, ripping their clothes, plucking out their hair, and throwing ashes up in the air, they probably didn't read it correctly. Because by the time you get to the Sermon on the Mount, you realize, I've not done any of this. I've not done any of this. I've fallen short, fallen short, fallen short. Or we have to go do what? Well, I don't think Jesus really meant turn the other cheek. And I don't think he really meant love the other. And I don't think he really, we have to start doing what? I don't think he really meant that about divorce. I don't think he really, yeah, you can change it so that you feel like you can keep it. But even then you're still fooling yourself because you still don't keep it. 
Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. I am perfectly righteous in Christ, not perfectly righteous in law-keeping. What was Israel looking to do? The law. They were like, righteousness comes from the law, and we argue righteousness comes from Christ. What comes from the law? Condemnation and the knowledge of sin. All right. I know we've already been talking about all of this, but I have to set this up for where we're going to go. All right. Now, starting in verse five. Here we go. This is our this is our task today. Okay. I can either you know, I like to do this more like getting you involved than just giving you the answers. All right. Starting in verse five down to. Well, we could probably go. There's a number of them starting in verse five. Let's just do this starting in verse five. There is a number of Old Testament references. The Old Testament is being quoted. The Old Testament is being cited. Our job this morning is to find every Old Testament reference, go back to the Old Testament, try to figure out how it's being used in the Old Testament, and then figure out how Paul is using it in the New. Now, this sometimes is problematic. All right? In fact, I just got an email. I just got an email the other, the other night, I don't, it was maybe early in the morning, it was late, um, and someone was like, hey, the New Testament writers, when they quote the Old Testament, they're just using it any way they want. They're just making stuff up, right? And I'm like, well, no, I, I don't think that's exactly right. I'm like, well, then, how, how do you understand this? I'm like, well, if you'll go back to our series on the book of Romans, we spent about three months talking about how New Testament writers use Old Testament scriptures, and sometimes it is very confusing, is it not? Sometimes I don't even quote the entire Old Testament verse. Sometimes they paraphrase it. And then sometimes their interpretation, we're left going, wait a minute, that's not what that seems to say in the Old Testament. It's very confusing. But for us, we remember this. We believe the New Testament writers are doing what they're doing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that... It's still confusing, and we can acknowledge when it's confusing, but it's always interesting what they do with it. So let's see what happens here, okay? So everybody ready? Thinking caps on. That gets us, uh, we're going we're gonna to finish this one way or the other. Okay, we may be here till noon, or till noon, yeah. We'll be here till noon tomorrow, okay? All right, here we go. All right, everybody ready? All right, verse 5. For Moses, all right, now, now, now we know where we're going, right? Now, it's interesting, why would he immediately bring in Moses? What, what, was the, what were the verses just right before this speaking of? And, and what, what, how is it being described? Christ is the end of the law for us, and it, previously it was talking about righteousness, that Israel was trying to establish their own righteousness, and we believe they were trying to do that by the law, right? So remember, law and righteousness is a major theme that's going to be established here. So if you're going to talk about law and people trying to find righteousness in law-keeping, where are you going to go? To Moses, right? Because that's the, the law is connected to him, agreed? All right, so now, what... What does he say? For Moses, and what does he say in regards to Moses? Described the righteousness which is of the law. Now here, here's the key. Now remember, what was his art? What, what did Paul say just about two verses before? He makes a, a, a derogatory statement about Israel. Starts with an I. Just about two verses before. What's the derogatory statement he makes about Israel using the, a letter I? 
ignorant. They're ignorant. What are they ignorant of? Of God's righteousness. But what are they? They're ignorant of God's righteousness, but what are they not ignorant of? Moses. They're ignorant of God's righteousness, but they are not ignorant of Moses. What did Israel know? The law. How well did they know the law? Memorized. And remember the carrying it around with them? Right? Carrying it around them with the little box right there? They, they knew the law. They knew the law. In fact, every time they had an issue with Jesus, what would they try to quote? The law. They knew the law. All right, so this makes perfect sense that he goes here. Now, please note, it's very important. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law. What does Moses describe? A righteousness that can come from the law. And you're like, well, see, see, that means you can do it. You can do it, right? If Moses describes a righteousness that comes by the law, then you should be able to do so. Well, what, what, what is, how does he describe it? That the man which doth doeth those things shall live by them. Where, where is he quoting from right here? We talked about this last week. This is review, people. Leviticus, yes, Leviticus. The, my favorite book, right? Everybody loves Leviticus. Okay. Okay. We, we've studied it here, right? We went verse by verse through it. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Just so that we know where Moses comes into play. Look at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, speak unto the children of Israel. So God to Moses to Israel. Verse 5. Ye therefore shall keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. All right? How else is, how does the NIV translate uh, Leviticus 18.5? Okay. So this, the, this starts setting up kind of a precedent here that he gives the law and what are you to do? Basically, if you want to live, you are to obey, right? This becomes very important. I'll read it from uh, one commentary. To prove to his readers that they did not even understand their own law. Remember what did I say? They're ignorant. Paul's like, okay, I'm going to show you how ignorant you are. I'm going to quote from Leviticus. You should know Leviticus. He began with Leviticus 18.5, which states the purpose of the law, if you obey it, you live. That's basically the concept. If you obey it, you live. Now, anyone who knows if I obey it, I live, should immediately start going what? I'm going to die. Why? Nobody keeps it. Did Israel keep it? No, but here, this is what's so fascinating to me. No matter how many times they didn't keep it, they kept convincing themselves somehow that they were. Let me say this carefully. Christianity should not make us delusional. 
Somehow Christians get this weird concept of that we can do this or we can do this and we can do this. When in reality, we, we have to be willing to go, no, no, that's not the case. Go to Galatians chapter 3. We read this last week. This is really going to kind of drive the point home. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3.10, everybody there? For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So if you're under the law, what are you under? A curse. Why? For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not and all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So what does the law demand? Perfection. I love that word, perfection. That's the right word, perfection. Perfection. And so, is anyone perfect? So then everyone is cursed. And and this is what's crazy. Israel can't see that. How could they not see that? Now, let's... Let's go, go back to Romans, right? That, that's all review, okay? That's all review. Here we go. Verse 6. Between 5 and 6, you almost can hear Israel going, yeah, and we keep it. Yeah, we obey it. Well, we do so. Right? It's like, it's like hearing Christians like, I can do it! I can do it! Like the, the sermon that I was re- reviewing yesterday on sanctification, literally saying, you now as a Christian have the ability to keep the law. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Now, you, you have to be delusional to think that. that. That Christianity should not lead to delusion. So, but, but what does he say? Verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Now, this is where it's going to get, you got to put your thinking caps on here, right? Okay. Now, he says, but the righteousness which is of faith. Now, Paul is getting ready to draw. Now, this is where it can get really confusing. What we're getting ready to read is in the Old Testament. Paul almost takes it and changes the meaning, which is, which leads to lots of hermeneutical issues. But, We don't have to try to figure that out. We just need to know what in the world Paul is going to do with it. So, what is Paul referencing here in uh, Romans 10.6? What's he referencing here? Does anybody know? Okay, Deuteronomy. Very good. All right, Deuteronomy what? Chapter 30. All right, here we go. Oh, this is going to get really fun. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, from thee neither is far off. All right. Now, God has given them commandments, yes? He's given them a law, right? And what is he saying about these commandments or these law? It's not hidden. It's not far off, right? How, how, how present is it with Israel? It's right there, right? He, he wrote it on 
tablets of stone. It's right there, right? He's given them Moses and priest, and he's, he's given them everything. It's right there. It's not hidden, right? Verse 12, it is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? In other words, you can't go, hey guys, guys, I hear God's got a law, but you know what? It's all the way up there in heaven. So, hey, who's going to go get it? I don't know what to do. Hey, do you know what to do today? I don't know what to do. Do you know what to obey today? I don't know what to obey today. Like, they, in other words, they can't say it's, it's way, it's almost foolish, but it, it's kind of funny, right? Hey, you can't say that it's way far away. All right, so next verse. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us? In other words, you can't stand at the, hey guys, you see the sea? Oh man, I can't swim that. Can anybody swim this? We need someone on a boat to go all the way over there to get it and come all the way back. And I'm I'm assuming that wouldn't probably be a safe way of traveling at this point in time in history, right? Agree? It wasn't like a big carnival cruise ship. All right, verse 14. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. So in other words, they can't argue It's too far away. It's right there. It's right there. So now, but notice what Paul did. Go back to Romans. Deuteronomy is speaking of the law, right? Paul, Paul does something weird. What does Paul say? He doesn't use the word law. <laughs> look at what's interesting. Look what, what did Paul look at the exact words? But the righteousness which is of faith. Do you see that? He, he's not referencing law anymore, is he? Right? The righteousness of faith. And what does he say about the righteousness of faith? Speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. No, he's like, hey, no, 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 no. This righteousness that's by what? Faith. We don't have to go wait. We got to go get, we got to go Christ and bring him down. We got to go get it. What is he trying to argue? As the law was close to Israel, what it can be close to us. The righteousness of, that comes from faith. Right? I mean, what, do, read, read Romans 10, 6. Don't, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. The righteousness which is of faith. Okay, I don't want to put any words in anyone's... I'm, I'm using the words that are in the text, okay, right? That's what I always try to do, correct? I don't ever try to come up with any clever... Uh, because uh, sometimes pastors come up with points and they end up supplementing... The, the point supplements the verse. You don't ever want your point in your sermon to get in the way of the verse. Right? Does that make sense? The righteousness of faith. Paul, it's really weird how he changes this. Hey, the law... You, can, you didn't have to go find the law. It was right there. The only problem is the law was right there and what came with it. A curse. Remember we already talked about that? Because they didn't keep it, right? Wasn't that, wasn't that Israel's constant state? Disobedience. Judgment. Judgment. Ju- I mean, you read the Old Testament. By the time you get to the, the, the reading the Old Testament, you should just say, guys, give it up! Your failures! You're a loser. Stop it. Stop trying. You're done. 
Right? It's like watching a boxer that's too old and you're like, just retire, man. Stop fighting. You're getting killed. Just stop. Throw in the towel. It's over. You just want to throw, by the time you get to the Old Testament, you want to throw in the towel and just say, Israel, it's over. Stop the fight. It's done. You've only, you've, how many more times can you get judged? Over and over and over and over. Correct? But guess where the law was? Right there. Paul's like, guess where the righteousness of faith is? Right there. Let me read from a commentary. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 30, 12 through 14, and gave the passage a spiritual meaning. There's no question that's what he's doing here, right? The theme of Moses' message was this commandment, Deuteronomy 30, 11. Does it say this commandment in Deuteronomy 30, 11? Remember, I don't ever trust commentaries, right? Okay. For this commandment, all right? All right, so the commandment's in, in view in Deuteronomy, correct? All right, so there's the commandment referring to the word of God. Moses argued that the Jews had no reason to disobey the word of God because it had been clearly explained to them and it was not far from them. In fact, Moses urged them to receive the word into their hearts and we can go throughout Deuteronomy over and over and over. Hey, it's right there. They had no reason to disobey. Was there disobedience because of ignorance? No, it was right there. They knew the law. Remember, that's the one thing they're not ignorant ignorance of. What are they ignorant of? The righteousness that comes by faith. They're not, they knew the law. So it's not like they could say, we didn't know it, we were confused, right? The emphasis in Deuteronomy, well, they say something here that I'm going to leave out because they start going in a direction and I'm like, where are you going? But this part, we can agree, yes? Right? Now, Paul gives the spiritual understanding of this admonition He saw the commandment or the word of God as meaning Christ or God's word. Now, the only problem here is I have a little bit of issue here because what what does he substitute right at the beginning again? Go back to Romans 10. The righteousness of faith, right? The righteousness of faith. Now, how did that righteousness of faith comes by whom? By Christ. Yeah, it comes by Christ. Right? So they kind of jump to the Christ part, but I just want to make sure you understand. He's got the, basically the Old Testament, Deuteronomy is the law. Paul wants us to look at the, the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay? So they, they say it this way. He told us that God's way of salvation was not difficult and complicated. We do not have to go to heaven to find Christ or into the world of the dead. He is near to us. In other words, the gospel of Christ, the word of faith is accessible and available. The sinner need not perform difficult works in order to be saved. He just has to trust in Christ. And we're going to see that even more clear before we're done with the text. All right. But just look at it again. Right. So he quotes, uh, he quotes verse six or in verse six, he quotes Deuteronomy. Right. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. When you become a Christian, you don't have to try to figure out who's going to go to heaven to bring Christ down or have to figure out how many laws you have to keep or how righteous you have to be. What do you have to do? All that matters is that we have faith. And that faith is not even something we do. It's a gift of God. God has to give us the faith. It is faith that saves. So what is the proof of salvation? Faith. 
What is the proof of salvation? Faith. If you point to something else, you're going to find yourself in a, you're going to find yourself in a mess, right? Because, because no matter how righteous you think you are, I guarantee you whatever righteous works you point to, they're corrupt. Or they're not sufficient. What is he going to do in the next verse? Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. And now he changes it a little bit, right? What did, what did uh, Moses say? He pointed to what? Go up to heaven, to the sea, cross the sea. He, he goes, Paul, instead of basically using the sea, he uses what? To the depths. What is he referring to? The grave. The grave. Right? In other words, so it's, it's one thing to go, man, crossing an ocean. Paul's like, no, no. It's even more difficult than that. Okay, Go into the dead. You don't have to go to the dead. You don't have to go up to heaven. Because Christ has come to us in the incarnation, right? Has suffered and died, satisfied the wrath, was our propitiation, satisfied God's wrath on our our behalf, and his righteousness now is imputed to us. We don't have to go looking and doing. Agreed? All right? Now, so we have Deuteronomy quoted. Everybody's good to go there. Now, what happens next? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now he continues. Is that not continuing with Deuteronomy? All right. So what has he done now? Just as the commandment was near, what is near to us? Well, no, 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 no. Look at verse 8. Okay, you got you to stay with the text. The word is not. What word? The word Paul is preaching. That we are d- d- made righteous by what? Faith. That is where? Near to us. It's right there. So in other words, we, why, why is he saying this? Israel, you're ignorant. You had the law near to you and you broke it. Guess what's near to you now? The word that says your righteousness is not to come from law keeping. It's to be given to you by faith or imputed to you by faith. That's what you need to grab onto. Right? And that's what we need to grab onto. That's what everyone must understand. So far, so good. Now, what happens next? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That, you probably, if you went to an independent fundamental Baptist church, you know that verse because you're giving to it to use it during evangelism, right? Right, yeah. Okay, Romans Road, right? You know that. We, I had it memorized, right? So in evangelism, you always pull this one out and use it in evangelism. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. What I'm saying is that sometimes cheapens the impact of what's going on here, right? Well, this is contrasting what? It's contrasting how we are made righteous apart from the law 
versus their attempts to be made righteous by the law. And what Paul says is all of the law-keeping, no, it, you don't get it through law-keeping. How are we saved? Read the verse. That will confess in my mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Now immediately I hear someone go, no, 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 no. That's too easy. No, 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 no. 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 You do that and you must do a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, N, Z. And if you don't do these things, you were never saved. That's pre- that preaches good, doesn't it? That preaches good. We like that, right? We're just never very honest with it, are we? Right? Because if we were super honest with it, we would realize, guess what? It, guess what, where we are on the A, B, C, D, the alphabet list of righteous things. We fall short of it, what? Every single day. It it always bothers me when people want to argue with me about it. I'm like, whoa, 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 you want to argue? You don't even show up to church and you want to argue? You don't even study your Bible, you want to argue? How about you worry about your righteousness before you start telling everyone else who's saved and who isn't saved? That's the most ridiculous thing that happens when people start arguing. I'm like, whoa, whoa, just back off. Don't come to me telling me who's saved and not saved. You better worry about yourself. Because usually it's the one pointing at everyone else going, no, 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 if you don't do this, you're not saved. If you don't do this, you're not saved. If you don't do this, you're not saved. How about you just stop worrying about everyone else and you just go home and spend time with yourself? Because I guarantee you there's probably a lot of dirt in your life. Now, you can cover yourself up in fig leaves and run around telling everyone, look at me, look at me, look at me. And everybody's like, yeah, <laughs> we know. We, fig leaves, we see it. Yeah, it's a bunch of fake righteousness. But you, you look good. You sound good. Oh, wait, how did that work out for those people who stand before Jesus in the last days and say, did we not do? Well, first of all, they say, Lord, Lord, that sounds really good, right? They accept him as Lord. Hey, did we not do? And they name a bunch of things they did. Even casting out demons for crying out loud. They even preached in his name. They did mighty works. In fact, they did more things than probably some of you. Depart from me. For I never knew you. Well, it is scary if you're trusting on what you do. It's not scary when you're trusting on what Christ did. Because when I stand before God, you know what I will hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I am a good and faithful servant, but because I'm in Christ, who was a good and faithful servant. Isn't that, I know that goes against the way we're always taught, right? Hey, you got to do the because you want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. If, it's, if, if I'm depending on me, I am never going to hear well done, good and faithful servant. They said, well, it don't have to be... Then we start making all the excuses. Well, as long as you do some good... What are you talking about? That's how come when you read uh, Hebrews 11, right? Someone messaged me and said that their their daughter, I don't remember how old she is, maybe eight, maybe 10, I can't remember. Do you remember the comment? 
10, yeah, 10, and said that she was, uh, she asked, Mommy, why, why does the Bible say that David or these people are good when they do, they did worse things than daddy does? And I'm like, that kid's a genius. That kid's brilliant. That, you know how smart that kid is? Like she asked why. First of all, just any why question, the kid's already smart, okay? And parents try to destroy that and beat it out of them. No, you will be dumb. Okay, no, no, no. Let them ask the why. But that's a brilliant why question. Because everyone, every adult should ask that question. Wait, what? David is considered righteous? I think that murder would probably, that adultery. And then everyone is so foolish with David, it drives me crazy. Well, you know. Because David messed up. He had consequences. He didn't get to build the temple. I'm like, yeah, but the next person who built the temple took what David did to an extreme. So I don't think that's a good argument. (laughs) Hey, the adulterer couldn't build the temple. No, someone who committed adultery a million times over built the temple. Like, do do Christians ever hear themselves, right? No, why can all these people be considered righteous? Hebrews 11 gives the word. Faith. And so for some reason, Hebrews 11 says by faith and doesn't describe the bad things they did. It's not because it's a cover-up. Well, I was going to say there, it's not that they were covering it up, but it is covered up by the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that good news? It's not by what you do. It's by what has been done. Your salvation is by your faith. By your faith. And you say, well, but, 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 but if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you don't do... Well, I, I will just ask you this. Can, can a person have faith and there's no way to get around it, rape their slave they took from Egypt? Christians will say, no, they can't. Look what Abram, Abram, Abram and Sarai did to Hagar. There's no way to get around what happened there. I mean, she was a slave. She had no say-so in anything. And then they kick her out. That's horrible. That's some of the most... If we saw that on the news, we'd be like, no way they're saved! No way they're saved! Father Abraham had many sons. Well, what, how did we do that? I don't know. Can you commit adultery? Then say, uh-oh, she's pregnant. You know, cover up, cover up. Okay, well, I'll get him drunk. Okay, oh, that didn't work. Oh, oh no, what I'll do, I'll send him back to the war and I'll have him killed. Man after God's own heart. Wait, who else? Oh, Lot is called a righteous man in the New Testament. What? He had relations with his daughters. Not just once, twice. He got drunk, woke up and go, oh, what, what happened? And then he got drunk and did it again. But he's righteous. Oh, not only that, when, when push came to shove, he was like, hey, take my daughters and do whatever you want. If there was someone in this church who did that, if there was someone in this church who you found out that last Friday they got drunk and had physical relations with their daughter, you would call their Christianity into question in 5.2 seconds. 
You were saying, there's no way they can be saved. Well, then you tell God that. Because for some weird reason, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Lot is called a righteous man in the New Testament. That is the most mind-blowing thing I will ever read in my life. Wait, who else is mentioned as by faith, as a hero of the faith in the book of Hebrews? Just look. See, 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 just look really quick. We'll take the time to do this. There's a, there's a weird name mentioned there. Person who's a, who's a train wreck of a person. I mean, they're all train wrecks in some way. Just look through there. Unless, I, unless I'm thinking the name is there and it's not there. I could be wrong. We got Abel. Okay, that, that, one, that one actually makes some sense, right? I mean, he died before he could do anything wrong, right? I mean, that makes some sense, okay? Enoch, okay, no problem there. Noah, Noah's got some issues. I mean, that murder probably is not a good thing. Okay. Abraham, okay, he's got some serious issues. Okay. Oh, we have a harlot mentioned there, do we? Oh, how, how does that work? Okay, I keep going. Uh, oh, Moses, uh, Moses, I was saying Moses. Thank you, thank you. I, I just heard, I heard Moses because we've been talking about Thank you. But Noah, something goes way wrong with Noah inside that tent. I won't go through that whole story. Something wrong happened there. Okay, that went way wrong. Okay, we won't even go to that story. You can go listen to the podcast. That's something bad went down there. Okay, all right. Thank you for correcting that, Stephen. Next. Gideon. Samson. Samson. What a great guy, wasn't he? Samson. He spent all his life, most of his life doing what? Playing games. And then laid his head down in the lap of whom? Delilah. And then ended up basically killing himself and killing, to kill the enemies of God. That's a, that, where, where would you say he's such a great guy? You wouldn't from a human perspective. But by faith, by faith, by faith we obtain a righteousness apart from the law. That's the crazy, that's the thing that Christianity will make no, that, that's, that's what makes me so mad is that we've found a way within the evangelical church to basically sell Christianity this way. If you guys would become Christians, you would be as good as we are. That's how we sell Christianity in the evangelical world, right? Those bad people, those liberals, those, those people in the LGBTQ community, we're like, they're all bad! If they'll become Christians, they can be good like us. And then you get the report from the Southern Baptist Convention, which was one of the most horrible 300-page documents you could ever read about the horrible things happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. You're like, well, I don't know if we're so much better than them. Hmm. So what's the message? Not come to us, come to, come to Christ and be like us. Come to Christ and be declared forgiven and righteous by faith. See, we think Christianity is the answer to make everyone righteous. That's, that's the problem with Christianity. Christianity has become nothing more than a moral 
movement. It's a, a system of morality. And we look at the world and we're like, I don't like the way the culture is. Hey, become Christians and stop acting like that. Well, maybe you should look in the mirror and you stop acting like that. Christianity has never been about how to make bad people good. Christianity is about how bad people can be declared righteous and still be bad. And how does that happen? Go back to Romans 10. I know I, know I kind of, well, I took a lot of time explaining that, but I think it's important. Look at verse 9. Again. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, the, you see how powerful that is in the context? It, Israel didn't understand that, because Israel would have said what? No, 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 i got to do something. Well, you're ignorant of the righteousness of God. Next verse. We're going to stop. For with the heart man believeth unto... Circle that. Everybody read that? For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. What does that mean? You don't believe and become righteous. You believe and are declared righteous. That is insane. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, uh uh-oh, we have verse 11, Do we have an Old Testament quotation again? Isaiah 28.16. Isaiah 28.16. Is this a pretty direct quote or does he do weird things with it again? Let's see. Isaiah 28.16. What is said here? It's Isaiah 28.16, correct? Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste, is how it reads in the King James. How does it read in other translations? The one that trusts will never be dismayed. Right? Dismayed. Make haste. Okay. All right. Jeremiah 17, 7. Okay, keep, keep Isaiah there. Someone said Jeremiah 17, 7, which says, Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is and the Lord is. Similar concept. And, and uh, Romans the way it's translated or the way he describes it is this, Romans 10, 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. Now, one commentary says it. At this point, Paul quotes Isaiah 28, 16 to show that salvation is by faith. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He quoted this verse before in Romans 9.33. He made it clear in Romans 10, 9-10, that salvation is by faith. We believe in the heart, receive God's righteousness, and then confess Christ openly and without shame. Now, there's another quotation here, but we don't have time to get to it. 
What do you think? Why do you think Paul quotes the Isaiah passage the way he does? Not so much worry about the, where it is in Isaiah. What do you think he's trying to say in the context of Romans? Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What is he trying to say? If you live by the law, where are you going to live your life? Ashamed. Cursed. Embarrassed. If you believe in Christ, how do you live your life? Well, you live your life not ashamed before God. You may be ashamed before people, but you won't be ashamed before God. And why will you never be ashamed before God? Because all your sins are completely forgiven and you're covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. So, what has Paul tried to demonstrate here? There's two, two paths to, to a righteousness. You can uh, try to obtain righteousness through what? The law. And that will lead you to what? Cursed and ashamed. Or you can have a righteousness that comes by faith. And what will you do? Live, not a curse, a blessing. And guess what? You will not be ashamed. And that salvation comes by faith. It comes by faith. Every attempt we have, and guess what? Has the world ever liked that concept? Has the church ever liked that concept? No, they did not. They did not like it. Why did they not like it? Why do you think there's such an animosity towards it? We want to do something. We want to have something we can cling to. But the thing is, we immediately go, no, no, no. That, it, it can't be that easy. It can't be. It's, it's just, no, no, no. It can't. And we're always worried about some kind of cheap grace or kind of worried about destroying the grace of God. It, Paul and Romans have made it very clear that if you, once you, when you hear grace preached, your first reaction is going to be, it can't be that way. Your first reaction is always to go, no, it can't be that way. And then we come up with all of our little clever human ideas to fix it, right? And what do we almost always do in trying to fix it? We either look foolish because we create an idea that... I mean, look, how many times do I have... I could pull up the test that Jonathan Edwards gives or the one that MacArthur gave. And whenever time we've gone through that test, what's the conclusion? That no one is saved. And even MacArthur, they always give the same test, right? They give you the test, and then what do they always do in the test? This is what you do to prove you're saved, and then they come a little bit further down, and what do they say? But you can't do it perfectly. Okay, well, and not only that, do they, what do they never explain? How is that righteousness supposed to prove an imputed righteousness? Can an imputed righteousness be proven by a practical righteousness? No. By definition, if practical righteousness If it's going to prove something, it would prove what? Infused righteousness. That's why when I was in the Catholic uh, University learning the Catholic theology, that's why they said, you guys are better Catholics than we are. Y'all teach infused righteousness better than we are. And I'm like, no, I don't. And then I'm like, wait, I do. I'm like, I'm an idiot. I'm a Catholic. How did I end up a Catholic before I became, went to a Catholic school? Because I thought I went to a Protestant churches who yelled and screamed about Catholicism while teaching it. 
Because they, because they thought, the, the, they think Catholicism is just about Mary and robes and, and Latin, you know. No, it's about the doctrine of justification. And when I became a Christian, you've got, you got to remember the time frame when I became a Christian. I became a Christian very close to the time this book was published. The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur, which changed evangelicalism forever. The Lordship idea came in, which says, just because you believe in Jesus, that doesn't prove you're saved. You've got to prove that you're a Christian by what you do. And you've got to do this, 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 this. And I, I didn't know any better. I mean, I became a Christian. That's, I mean, this was one of the first books. I'll never forget me and Stacy sitting in front of the parking lot of one of the book, bookstores Okay, when we were dating and we were, we were reading uh, his like, study guide on 1 John and basically we looked at each other and go, well, no, there's nobody saved. Nobody's saved. Nobody. So then I had to come up with a clever plan. Well, no, I, I think we do this good enough. I, okay, yeah, we, we do this enough. It's those other people that are not saved. Then I, I became like a good Christian, right? Point my finger at everyone else thinking that I'm good. No matter how much the evidence was contrary to it, Right? He's like, well, you know, I'm trying. At least I care. At least I feel bad about it, right? I came up with all those excuses. But I thought, I didn't know what different kind of, I I wasn't there before. I wasn't in Christianity really before this book. I don't know what it was like. I came along with this, which changed everyone. Okay, some of you, maybe you were saved before the book and you know the, the before and after effects, but this book was absolutely transformative to the evangelical world. In many cases, very damaging. No matter how much good. But again, it was always, what was the concern? Remember, what was Pelagius' concern? If you believe in total depravity, then people are just going to live in sin and you've got to stop believing in total depravity. You have the will to do right because I'm tired of this weak Christianity. And then what was MacArthur tired of? Same thing. I'm tired of this sin. We're going to fix it. I'm going to tell everyone they're not saved. Well, did that fix it? didn't fix it. Because guess what? You can tell the whole world they're not saved. <laughs> if he was honest, there'd be nobody in his church saved. If he really te- gave the test the way he gives the test, nobody would pass the test. And there was major problems with that. All right, we'll stop. Look, we come before you this morning. Well, this is a very important chapter, trying to understand grace, and righteousness, and the law. And Lord, I think is, if Israel was ignorant of your righteousness... I think we have been guilty of the same thing. We've come up with our own clever schemes to try to somehow protect your salvation or protect your grace. But it's not ours to protect. It's ours to trust in and be grateful that we have a righteousness that is not based on what we do, but on what your son did. Let us be grateful for that, rest in that, thankful for that, and offer it to anyone we can. Help us do this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said,